Hey y'all, this is a preview to the latest premium subscriber only episode to Champagne Sharks. So what you're hearing is a small clip of a longer episode that is available over on patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. And it's available to premium subscribers who pay $5 a month. And if you want to hear the rest of the episode, go over to patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks and subscribe for only $5 a month. You get not only access to this episode in its entirety, but to the whole backlog of premium episodes, which at this point is over 100 episodes at this point. So it's a great deal. So without further ado, here is the preview, and I hope we see you on the other side at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks, where you can hear the rest. What I find interesting is that you uh, were attracted to the City Sun, you know, and you were freelancing at um, the New York Times, and I thought that's a very good example of the opposite of showing, you know, a feeling a sense of solidarity or the way you write about the George Floyd protests and tie them into what's happening around the world with uh, black people. So I kind of want to get your uh, feeling on um, the whole uh, diaspora war thing, um, the extent to which is overstated, the extent to which is understated, um, how, how you feel, how you feel it's, it's headed. Right. I, uh, also, yeah, one more thing, uh, generally, mm, yes. generationally, if you could talk about uh, how different generations, uh, differences you see. Right. Okay, so for example, I used to know this uh, this vendor here in, in when I was still living in Harlem. Uh, I forget which West African country he was from, and they, you know, I would chat with him for a long time. A very interesting guy he was whenever I walked by his his stall. And then once he made a comment, he said, "Oh, you know, you know African Americans or something." I said, yeah. "So what do you mean?" He said, "I don't like them because you know some of them." come and they steal my merchandise, they grab my merchandise, and they run off without paying. I said, so you're generalizing and saying that applies to every African-American? I said, I think he's from the Gambia, if I remember. So I said, okay, so in the Gambia, well, before you came here, right, were you a vendor too? He said, yes. In fact, I had a huge stall. He said, did people steal from your stall as well? I said, yes, that's always a problem. People would grab my merchandise and run away. <laughs> I said, so did you hate Gambians because they stole from your stall? And then he was quiet. And then he started thinking. I said, listen, brother, you can't think like that, you know, because this is wrong. You're telling me the same thing happens in the Gambia, but you're not saying you hate <laughs> Gambians because of what they do. So he started thinking about it. And I think part of the problem is it's the people that set the global narrative, Right. So, for example, what Africans in Africa and people of African ancestry in other parts of the world, including in Britain, including in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Caribbean, what they know of African-Americans or African descendants in America is based on the people that tell the narrative. And the people that have shaped the narrative have been of European ancestry. You see? So obviously that depiction affects people in Africa and likewise, the reverse is true. And that's what Malcolm spoke about, as I mentioned earlier, that the impression of Africa that was instilled in the minds of African-Americans was shaped by Hollywood. Remember those Tarzan movies? I don't know of any 
black person who was there writing that script <laughs> for the Tarzan movies, where you have this European going to Africa to rescue Africans, right? In their natural habitat from animals that are threatening <laughs> Africans. Tarzan is the hero, this European, this white man. And Africans are these uh, wild-eyed, uh, terrified savages, right? So as you're- Yeah, he knows the land person, better than they do. Yes, he does. <laughs> so you are a, uh, an African-American growing up in this country. Yeah, you, you take an era, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. Let's say it's the pre-civil rights era, right? You're obviously probably going to absorb much more of that whole cloth, that negative perception of Africa. Maybe things started changing in the 1960s when you start seeing actually Africans who are presidents and prime ministers, you know, coming to this country. And Malcolm did say that in some of his private writings that I'm going through, that it gave a sense of pride to African-Americans to see that Africans could actually be world leaders shown on TV, meeting other leaders, going to the White House, for example, as a president, a place where previously black folk were not even allowed uh, to go. You can probably count, you know, on the, number, on the fingers of one hand, how many uh, uh, black people had ever entered the White House uh, before the 1960s, when all these African presidents started coming there to present their, you know, to, to meet Kennedy, to meet all these other presidents. So all this, the perception has always been important in what uh, determines the perceptions of African-Americans in Africa and the perception of Africa uh, amongst African-Americans. And the same is true for the Caribbean as well. Uh, the, 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 under the British influence, the Caribbeans are being taught that you're a special uh, type of, you know, black people. Uh, you're, you're not like, you know, those lazy African-Americans. And by the way, look at the contradiction of that slur, that narrative of being lazy. How can you be lazy at the same time when you are the ones that actually built this country's wealth and economy through your unpaid labor on all and those waged, plantations? And they waged a whole war to keep you. Of like, course. Like, like, like <laughs> even free labor you know? is lazy. Who tear up a Right, so the narrative, if when completely and carefully dissected, is a nonsensical narrative, but it's a narrative that nonetheless has a pervasive hold because it's being drummed in constantly by American films, American magazines, American media, American television, right? So this, this global monopoly of American uh, uh, hegemony, right, in terms of setting the narrative. And the, the same thing was true for the British in setting that narrative, the same thing with the French for setting that narrative. So there are many layers that we have to deal with this issue. Not only the intra-Africa, uh, African-American relationship or African-American-Caribbean relationship or African-Caribbean relationship, that of course is another element right there, but we also have to deal with the internalized diminution, right, of our own self-worth. So that, let's say, for example, in French West Africa, where it was much more pervasive, where the French had a policy uh, of quote-unquote assimilation, right? The more French you were, the more civilized you were. So if you abandon your African language, you abandon your African culture, and you only spoke French, you know, now you are 
perceived as a worthier human being. So that actually took deep root in French West Africa, more so than even in British East Africa, British-controlled East Africa. So that up today, the most mentally colonized Africans, I would say, without any doubt, are the ones that were, had been colonized by the French. So that's an issue that needs to be tackled, right? So before that person is really ready to deal with his relationship with African-Americans or African-Caribbeans, he has to first decolonize his mind, right? And love being a French West African <laughs> or a West African before he can move to that second stage. I think I, 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 think I, didn't, I didn't have much of that challenge. And that goes to your question of asking me specifically because of living in Tanzania. As I said, my family had lived in exile when the president was Julius Nyerere, one of the most profound uh, Pan-Africans and intellectuals, uh, Julius Nyerere, uh, one of the most, you know, actually revered African leaders as well. I would put him in the top three or four up there, you know, with uh, Nkrumah and Mandela, you know. Yeah, I, I have never heard Nyerere of him. But, but oh, yeah, him for, yeah. for people who want to look him up, it's NYE. R E R E. Yes, Julius Nyerere. Please look him up. You know he's uh, you uh, under very underrated. But you know uh, intellectually, uh, perhaps I would actually put him ahead of Kuma. To be honest with you, I might actually I might actually turn it around and put Nyerere, and then you know between Kuma and 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 Nelson Mandela, that's a tough number two choice for me. But I would put those top three, and then there are many others, of course. So I lived in Tanzania and I was able to, you know, get Tanzanian education and have this progressive outlook and in essence see that we are all one African people who experienced the colonial penetration in different ways. You know, the enslavement regime, which depopulated Africa and took Africans to the United States and to the Caribbean and to South America, right? the partition of Africa, where Uganda never existed until the British and the French and the uh, Portuguese and the Italians, the Germans, the Spanish, uh, the Belgians all sat and drew maps, drew maps on an Africa that did not have any of these lines before and partitioned it into all these countries that exist today. So if you see that as a European creation, you know, why do you accept that European creation? When in fact, there was just one continent and many nationalities, of course, but meaning, in essence, one people divided by many different cultures, right? And traditions, but similar in some respect. And everybody who was forcefully taken out of Africa and their descendants now happen to be all over the world, including in the United States, originally they were members of this collective family as well. So once you know all that, how can these petty divisions that exist actually afflict you? And I think the more that people actually know this history and appreciate it, that's how you deal with these petty, you know, unnecessary divisions. But they do exist and they are real, but they come out of profound ignorance. And, and, and you know, what's interesting is to a degree, I mean, you see in how a lot of um, African people speak about themselves in a way because I noticed that a lot of Nigerian people, for example, they'll talk about themselves really as Yoruba or Igbo or things like that. And I didn't realize that I learned history that in a way, just the whole country of Nigeria is an artificial 
construct that absolutely exactly right yeah that borders a lot of uh tribes who kind of think of themselves as independent so even um now there's been a single country for so many years because of the artificial um constraint you have a lot of people who don't really think of themselves as one as one group it was kind of forced absolutely forced absolutely because i think iraq might be the same way with with some bedouin tribes but yeah it's a common theme yeah Right, and even the, the and even the very word, like for example, when you use the word tribe, you and I understand what you mean, right? But when a European uses it, he means it in a very different way. You see? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because true. you know, he uses it to keep African people divided, you know, and he uses it also in Europe and in the West and the United States to signify people that are still backward, you know, undeveloped culturally, historically, linguistically, intellectually, you know. And you know, so there are all these uh, uh, obstacles that the former colonizers set in place that still benefits, by the way, the former colonizers. All right. So that was a preview. If you like what you hear and you want to hear the rest of the episode and 100 more episodes, then by all means, go over to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. Take care, y'all.